Psalm 119, 41 to 48. This is the Hebrew letter Vav. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And do not take away the word of truth utterly from my mouth, for I wait for your judgments. So I will keep your law continually, forever and ever, and I will walk in a wide place, for I seek your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. And I will muse on your statutes. I want you guys to imagine that you're an Israelite. Go back thousands and thousands of years from now. Your parents have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And at this time in history, they've passed away. They saw the Red Sea split in two. They heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai when he was giving Moses the law. They beheld God's wondrous signs of giving them bread from heaven and water from a rock. Their leader has been Moses. And now Moses is the last of that generation. He is dying. Before he dies, he has three sermons to give to this new generation. You're about to enter the promised land. Before you do, Moses preaches the law of God. And in his third sermon, he tells of God's blessings for obedience and God's curses for disobedience. And I want you to imagine this. Moses gets somber. He says that ultimately, the children of Israel, your people, will disobey. And they're going to be scattered. And other kings are going to rule over them. And you're going to be slaves to them. I want you to guys to imagine hearing that. It's like someone telling you that your children, grandchildren, however many far descendants off, will one day be slaves of another king in a land that you do not know. Everything will be taken away from them, and they'll be scattered abroad. Yet in these somber words that Moses says, Moses then speaks of a covenant. Covenant is a promise. It's a promise given by God. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 14. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 14. Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 14. I'll read it. This is how Moses then speaks to them after they have disobeyed the commands of God. They've been scattered abroad. And this is what Moses says. 
So it will be when all of these things have come upon you. The blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you cause these things to return to your heart in all the nations where Yahweh your God has banished you. What he's saying right here. They have been banished. They have been judged by God as a result. And they realize something. They realize that they have done wrong in the sight of God. And they turn and they repent from it. In verse 2 it says, And you return to Yahweh your God and listen to his voice with all your heart and soul according to all that I am commanding you today, you and your sons. If you do this, verse 3, Then Yahweh your God will return you from captivity. And return his compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where Yahweh your God has scattered you. You disobeyed the voice of God. God has scattered you abroad. You realize that you have sinned. You recognize your sin. You repent of your sin. And at this point, it's a promise that God will gather them again from all the peoples. He will gather them from all the peoples that they are in bondage to and bring them back to Israel. It says in verse 4, If those of you who are banished are at the ends of the sky, from there Yahweh your God will gather you. And from there he will take you back. And Yahweh your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Even if you're all the way over there, The furthest of the skies. God will bring you back. He's saying this to the people of Israel. Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So that you may live. And Yahweh your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies. And on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you shall return and listen to the voice of Yahweh, and you shall do all his commandments, which I am commanding you today. Then Yahweh your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For Yahweh will return to rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. When you listen to the voice of Yahweh your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, when you return to Yahweh your God with all your heart and soul. For this commandment which I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it far from you. It is not in heaven that you say, who will go up to heaven for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you say, who will cross the sea for us and get it for us and make us hear it that we may do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. When Jacob's descendants, remember Jacob was renamed Israel, have been scattered and they're in that state When they finally cry out to God, when they finally repent of their sins, repent of their wickedness before God, God will hear them and return to their land. When they turn from their sins, God will return them to the land of Israel. 
God's providence, the Israelites entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Moses dies. He goes up the mountain. He dies. A new leader is appointed. That is Joshua. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. However, while Joshua was still alive, the children of Israel started acting in disobedience to God. They started violating the law of God, what God had told them. And think about it. After Joshua's death, in the book of Judges, we see this consistent cycle. The people sin. God judges them. He judges them by allowing them to be defeated by other nations in war. And them being enslaved. Put under subjection to those nations. Then the people realize how bad it is. They repent of that sin. They turn from that sin. And what God does is God raises up a judge. And that judge then God uses to free the people. And then what happens again? The people then go back to their old ways. They continue in sin. And the cycle goes around and around and around. And after the judges, the time comes... And it's the time of the kings. You remember Saul? Saul was the first king. But he died and his descendants were not going to take the throne. Then David comes and David has his descendants. And they continue on. Finally, by the time it got to Solomon's, David's son, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he makes a foolish choice. He listens to his foolish friends. And Rehoboam, then by his foolish actions, splits the kingdom. The kingdom gets split into two. And as time goes, the kingdom gets overtaken by other nations. And the people, the people of Israel, are then scattered abroad. And they're taken as captives to the land of Babylon. Where we read about Daniel. And Daniel was a subject in Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then years on after that, after Daniel probably then died, what happens is the Medes and the Persians then take over. So it was um, the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medes and the Persians. There's a king by the name of Cyrus the Great. And what Cyrus the Great does is he allows the Jews to go back to their homeland. And we read in the books of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther, we read about that time frame. Nehemiah went to rebuild the walls, but before they went and built the walls, Ezra, the priest, under him, the temple was rebuilt. The temple had been destroyed prior. The temple is rebuilt. Nehemiah then builds the walls around Jerusalem. And the people are then brought back into the land of Israel. What happened was because Israel disobeyed the law of God. Because they did not obey what God had said. They were scattered abroad. I want you to think about this. Psalm 119 is thought to have been written in the post-exilic period. So when I was talking about Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, that would have been... In the post-exilic period, they are brought out of exile. 
Cyrus the Great has freed them. They've been brought out of exile. But as we look at Psalm 119, there are some very clear exilic themes throughout. Themes of exile throughout. And what we see in this psalm, in Psalm 119, the psalmist is remembering the promise of God in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he's reminding God of that promise. And so in Psalm 119, 41 to 48, the psalmist lays before God two prayer requests. If you're taking notes, write these down. He lays before God two prayer requests. The first one, give me your salvation. Verses 41 to 42. Give me your salvation. Verses 41 to 42. And number two, do not take your word from me. Verses 43 to 48. First one, give me your salvation. Verses 41 to 42. And number two, do not take your word from me. Verses 43 to 48. The psalmist in this psalm wants to be delivered from this bondage. And he wants to walk in obedience to God so that he'll never go into bondage again. Let's begin with our first point. Number one, give me your salvation. Verses 41 to 42. Give me your salvation. Verse 41. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. Verse 41, the psalmist requests that the loving kindnesses and salvation of God would come to him according to his word. What it means here when it says according to your word, he's appealing to the promises of God. According to what you, God, have promised. In fact, the word loving kindnesses comes from the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed. And that refers to the covenantal love of God. The promised love of God. And the loving kindnesses, remember, that's in the plural, that the psalmist is referring to here, has to do with God's salvation. And what are these loving kindnesses? What are these salvific acts? If we look back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, they're listed there. So if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, we're going to be flipping back and forth from Deuteronomy. I want you guys to hear these God will statements in it. These are the loving kindnesses of God. They've been returned from exile they've been returned from captivity first one Yahweh your God will return you from captivity and will return his compassion on you he will gather you again from all the peoples you go down to verse 4 God will gather you from there he will take you back verse 5 God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers verse 6 Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soil so that you may live. Verse 7, Yahweh your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies. Verse 8, you shall return and listen to the voice of God and you shall do all his commandments. 
Verse 9, the last will, God will, Yahweh your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your cattle, in the produce of your ground. For Yahweh will return to rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. Consider all of these God will statements that are evident throughout. These loving kindnesses that the psalmist is referring to right here has to do with God's salvific acts, what God will do. So the psalmist here is reminding God of what God has promised. When God says, I will, he means he will. It's not, I might. It's not, I can. It's not, I should. It's, I will. And these are the things that God has promised. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's claiming the promises of God. Saying, God, you have promised these things. You have promised your loving kindnesses. Notice that's in the plural. Your loving kindnesses. He will do it. Now, after the psalmist prays this first request, he comes back listing his reason for this request. He then gives a reason as to why he gives this request. I want you guys to look down at verse 42. Verse 42. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. For I trust in your word. So I will. Verse 41. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. Why? So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. And what is this answer that the psalmist is going to give to the one who reproaches him? To the one who mocks, who shames him? And not only what is this answer that the psalmist is going to give, but how is God answering the psalmist's prayer going to give the psalmist an answer to give to his enemy? How is God giving the loving kindnesses already listed in Deuteronomy chapter 30 going to give an answer to his enemy? Well, if we look down, I want you guys to look down at verse 46. Verse 46 says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. So, so what is this answer? What, what is this answer that he is going to be given? What is this answer that he is going to be given? Well, if we look down in verse 46, it's the testimonies. Reproach is shame. The psalmist does no longer wants to be reproached, to be shamed anymore. Remember, imagine being in exile. Imagine being a slave. Imagine being taken from your home country. It's pretty shameful. And being made a slave in that country to another king. When you're the promised people of God. They're the promised people of God. And what is this answer that he is going to give to the one who reproaches him? He is going to speak 
of God's testimonies. To the covenants of God, to what God has done. What is the answer? What God has done. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, Deuteronomy 30, verse 7, it says, And Yahweh your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. I want you to consider this. God is going to inflict, God is going to answer the one that reproaches. God is going to answer the one that is reproaching the psalmist, that is shaming the psalmist. And how does God answer in Deuteronomy 30, verse 7? He answers by inflicting curses upon them. I think a Pharaoh, right? Think of Pharaoh and all these other people that, that mock the name of God. And then God does a great and wondrous work. And they know that it is the one true God. And it is Yahweh who has done that great and powerful and mighty work. Does the psalmist really even need to answer for himself when God answers for him? And all the psalmist can do is point back to God and say, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. This is the God of the universe. This is not a God you want to mess with. This is my God. And I trust him. And they know. They are left without excuse. They know. But I want you guys to think about this. It says, for him who reproaches me, shames. The psalmist was reproached for being a follower of the one true God. And if we see in Scripture, as we see in Scripture, those that are in Christ, those that follow Christ, are going to be persecuted. It will be persecuted. We will be mocked. We're going to be shamed by others. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire... To live godly. If you desire to live a godly life before God, you will be persecuted. I want you guys to just even think about this. It is God who's going to be the one who repays. In fact, it says in God's word, instead of being like Peter and and reaching out the sword and, and striking, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He is going to be the one. The persecution will happen. And Jason and I were at a conference this past, um, this past week. And one of the speakers at the conference was a pastor in Canada. In fact, he was the first pastor in Canada to be imprisoned during the time of the COVID pandemic. It says in 2 Timothy that all will be persecuted, not just because you say, you come into the sphere and say, I'm a Christian, right? The devil is more sly than that. What Paul says is, all who desire to live godly, 
If you desire to follow the law of God, if you desire to walk in obedience to God, then you're going to be persecuted. They opened up church. And the reason they opened up church is because it says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. This is the habit of some. God has called people to worship him on Sunday. And for that, they took that pastor, removed him from his family, and they threw him in jail. And he was in jail for about a month and a half. Had he done any wrong? No. He was just worshiping God. He was trying to live a godly life before God, and he was persecuted for it. And so when you commit to following Christ, you're taking up your cross daily and following him. When you desire to live godly, it's going to be difficult. But it is entirely worth it. And it is entirely valuable. The psalmist was reproached. He was shamed. He was made a slave in a land that was not his own. But he had a great God. And his comfort is in God and not in his present circumstances. Go to our second point. Do not take your word from me. Do not take your word from me. Verses 43 to 48. Do not take your word from me. Verse 43. And do not take away the word of truth utterly from my mouth. For I wait for your judgments. For I wait for your judgments. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, see the similar language. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. The word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Now for the psalmist, please with God. For his salvation, the psalmist then proceeds to beg God to not take away his word from his mouth. I use a phrase in English, it's on the tip of my tongue. When we can't remember something, when we're trying to, when we're trying to remember something and we just can't, we say, it's all on the tip of my tongue, but we can't. Well, in this, this verse, the psalmist begs of God to not utterly, to not completely Take away his words from his mouth. And if God does, his words will be there no more. Now this forgetting, this lack of remembering is not simply in terms of of knowing what the Bible says. But giving heed to it and living, but giving no heed to it, um, living as you please. You know, um, if you turn to Deuteronomy 31 to 3, let's look back at it again. Deuteronomy 31 to 3, right at the beginning. These verses right here are talking about the children of Israel remembering the commandments of God, listening and obeying them. I want you guys to think about this. The word here in Hebrew, the word here, H-E-A-R in Hebrew, does not just mean to audibly listen to something. When it says to hear in the Hebrew, what it means is for you to listen and obey. Hearing is not just, you know, oh, I I heard that guy out. No, hearing instead is taking what you have learned and applying it to your life. And so if you heard 
the word of God, if you have heard the word of God, that means that you have listened and obeyed the word of God. Now notice in this verse, notice in verse 43, that, do, that the psalmist doesn't pray that God helps him to remember his word. That's really important, guys. The psalmist doesn't pray that God helps him to remember his word. What he does pray for is that God does not take his word away. It says in the Bible that Pharaoh hardened his heart and did not obey God. But it also says in the Bible that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart to what God's word said. And God ended up hardening Pharaoh's heart. So I want to ask you guys. Are you praying that God would soften your heart to hear and obey his truth? Are you praying that way? Are you praying like the psalmist to God to not take away his word from you? Because when the word leaves your mouth, and you're no longer living in accordance with your word, you are shutting yourself off from what God has to say. And I want you to listen to the very next part of verse 43. The psalmist then gives God a reason as to why not, as to why not take his word from his mouth. And he says, for I wait for your judgments. He waits for the judgments of God, for he knows, as it says in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 3, the first judgments will come on them before they repent. You should even consider that. Just consider that he says, why, God, do you not take your word from my mouth? Because I wait for your judgments. He's waiting for God's judgments. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, what happens before the people repent is that they are judged by God. And so what I believe the psalmist is praying is he is praying for God's judgments so that they will be led to repentance to him. Imagine loving the word of God so much that you're like, you desire it above all else. Understand that God is a good judge and that is going to require his judgments. It's going to require his judgments before you repent. I think of this story of Franklin Graham. How many of you guys are familiar with Franklin Graham? He started Samaritan's Purse. Well, he didn't start Samaritan's Purse. He's a CEO of Samaritan's Purse. His dad was Billy Graham, the famous evangelist. Anyway, Franklin Graham was a wild young guy. He lived a life in the world. Um, he did things that he knew dishonored God. His father was a preacher, and he didn't care. In fact, he wrote a book about it called Rebel uh, Without a Cause. And anyway, he tells his story in it. And his mother prayed for him. His mother, Ruth Graham, she prayed this prayer. She said, God, I pray that you will hurt him, but I pray that you will not kill him. And I pray, Father, that you will wake him up to his sin and his need for you. Imagine a mother praying that prayer. God, I pray that you will hurt him, but not kill him, and that you will wake him up to his need for you. I think we see that kind of prayer right here in the psalmist's. And on the next five verses of Psalm 119, verses 44 to 48, the psalmist then states, seven I wills. 
All right, he states seven I wills. So we're looking in Deuteronomy 30, and these are the God wills. And then we see the psalmist states seven I wills. And these are the seven I wills. Do not take your word from me so that, number one, I will keep your law continually. Verse 44a. Number two, I will walk in a wide place. Verse 45a. Number three, I will speak of your testimonies before kings. Verse 46a. Number four, I will not be ashamed. Verse 46b. Number five, I will delight in your commandments. Verse 47a. Number six, I will lift up my hands to your commandments. Verse 48a. And number seven, I will muse on your statutes. Verse 48 See, so let's begin looking at these verses and these I will statements. Verse 44. So I will keep your law continually, forever and ever. God does not take away his word. The psalmist will keep his law continually. He will keep it forever and ever. But how will, how will the psalmist keep his law forever? How is he able to keep it continually? I mean, someday he's going to have to die. I want you to... Turn back once again to Deuteronomy chapter 30. These passages go right next to each other. Verse 6, look at verse 6, and it says, Moreover, Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed, that's, that's your offspring, to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Now this live here, remember back that we were talking about the three types of death. Three types of death, physical, spiritual, and eternal. Physical, spiritual, and eternal. This also goes for life. There's physical life, there is spiritual life, and there is eternal life. Physical life is the life that you're currently now living in your body. In your body, one day your body is going to die. It's going to be put in the ground, right? You only have one physical life. Now your spiritual life is you are also, we're dichotomous beings, you have a body and a soul. All right? You have a soul. Currently, if you are not in Christ, you, your soul is blackened by sin. You have an evil heart. You desire the things that God hates. You love evil and not righteousness. But when you turn from your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us a new heart, as it says in Scripture. And your desires then are to follow him and live in accordance with him. So when we say that we're born again, what we're saying is that I have been given a new heart. I am changed. I'm clean by the blood of Christ. My soul is clean by the blood of Christ. And then eternal life, eternal means forever. If you guys don't know this, you all will live forever. In hell or heaven. But you're all going to live forever. And so physical, spiritual, and eternal. So we see right here, so I'll keep your law continually forever and ever. And we see in this verse right here, God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Even on after the psalmist has passed from this life on to the next, he will continually be loving God in heaven And then when God has given man a new body, and the new heavens and the new earth, what will then happen? He will live forever with Christ. 
and he is going to love God for eternity. So yes, if you are in Christ, you are going to love God forever. You're going to love God forever and you're going to keep his word. I want you guys to even think of this, um, the imagery that's used in Deuteronomy 6. Yahweh, your God, will circumcise your heart. That means to separate, to cut. What he's going to cut is he's going to cut the sinful desires of the flesh from you and he's going to give you a new heart instead. He's cutting off the sinful desires and giving you a new desire in Christ. So the question is, has your heart been circumcised? Have your sinful desires been cut off? Verse 45. This is the psalmist again. And I will walk in a wide place, for I seek your precepts. Only will the psalmist keep God's law if God does not take away his word from his mouth, but he will also walk in a wide place. Now, this word used here is a wide place. In Deuteronomy 30, this covenant of God speaks of the land that's going to be given back to the children of Israel. It says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 5, And Yahweh your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. This passage tells of the land that they're going to come into and they're going to reinherit. Now, in the 1995 edition of the New American Standard that we use, it translates Psalm 119.45 as walk at liberty. To walk in a wide place is to walk at liberty. And I want you guys to think about this. Jail cells are not very wide. <laughs> They're not very wide. So to walk in a wide place is to walk in liberty, to walk in freedom. And isn't it interesting that the psalmist right here is making the claim that the law of God is freeing? He's making the claim that the law of God is freeing. But how is the law freeing? How is the law freeing? How how can we say a law tells you not to do something and to do something? How is that freeing? Well, when your parents tell your five-year-old little sibling to not touch a hot stove, are they withholding your freedom? To a certain extent, yeah, they are. They are withholding your freedom. They're keeping you from touching the hot stove. But what happens when you touch that stove? Your hand gets burnt, and depending on how bad the burn is, you have to wrap your hand, and you can now not do things with your hand that your hand was made to do. You can't write, you can't draw, you can't play volleyball, you can't shoot baskets. Your hand has been burned. All the freedom that you had in the law, if you had only obeyed it, has now been taken away. I want you to even think about that with Adam and Eve, right? You can eat all the different trees in the garden. All of them. Just don't eat that one. Just not that one. Think about how much freedom they had. It's only one law. Don't do that. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. What happens as soon as they do it? Yep. Burned. They're burned. Not in this verse. The psalmist then says why he will walk in freedom. He says, for I seek your precepts. As we learned a little while back, according to the Bible commentator Willem van Gemeren, it appears to be synonymous with the word covenant 
and with the revelation of God, the psalmist seeks after God's covenants, and for that, he will walk in a wide place. He is seeking after what God has promised in his word, and he's going to walk in freedom. Okay? Verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I shall not be ashamed. This verse answers the question that we already posed in verse 42. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. The answer, the answer the psalmist is going to give to the one who reproaches me is he's going to tell him the testimonies of God. In fact, the enemy is going to experience the curses of God. And the psalmist is not ashamed. He is standing before the people in power. And he is not ashamed. He is not ashamed of the word of God. You know, I look at my own life and um, I'm ashamed to say it, but you know, um, when I'm on the airplane and I'm sitting next to an unbeliever, I don't want to share the gospel with them. I want them to look upon me favorably. I don't want to bother them. It's, it's, too, much, it's too much work, right? It's, it's uncomfortable. And in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm not giving them living water. And I think we all do that. I think we all think, Oh, there I'll be. I'll be following Christ. And when it comes to burn me, when it's time to burn me at the stake, I'm going to be there in boldness. But we can't even share God in our day-to-day life. I want you to look at this psalmist right here. I will not be ashamed before kings. He's going to tell of the works of God, and he's going to tell it to the people that are in power. He's not ashamed. Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? In fact, most persecution comes from the government. China, believers are persecuted all the, all the time. And one day in your lifetime, if you are in Christ, I believe that you will be persecuted. I mean, the Apostle Paul even says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. If you're a Christian desiring to live godly, should be all Christians. You will be persecuted. Let's finish this up. Verse 47 to 48a. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. He loves the word of God. He loves the word of God. He delights in God's commands. He lifts up his hands to God's commands, delightfully receiving them. He loves the word. And why does he love the word of God? Why why do we at Berean love the word of God? Because the word of God drives us to love the God of the word. God has clothed himself in words so that we can see him. We love the word of God because we see God. We love the word of God because we see God. I love that quote, God clothes himself in words. It's from, I think, one of the elders at Grace Community Church in Los Angeles. In fact, the first and greatest command is to love God. So if we love the word of God, we cannot help but to love God. Because that's what the word of God says. 
And finally, verse 48b, and I will muse on your statutes. Muse. That means to delightfully think upon. I'm going to think on the word of God, continually thinking on it, delighting and enjoying what it has to say. So I want to ask you, are you committed to the word of God? Are you like the psalmist? Do you love the word of God? Do you want to walk in obedience to the word of God? Are you going to be bold for the word of God? I just even think about when he says, do not take away the word of truth from my mouth. Do you have that same prayer? Are you praying that you would live holy lives before God? You know, thousands upon thousands of people die. Young people die. Old people die. I don't want you guys to get the foolish thought in your head that I'll only die when I get to 80. I'm going to die in a car crash. And if you're not right with God, that is a scary place to be in. And so what I say to you is turn to God. Look to Christ. Christ has paid the punishment that you deserve. See him for who he is. See yourself for who you are. A dirty, nasty sinner in need of a great and glorious Savior. If you'd like to talk with us a little bit more on after, speak to any one of the leaders. Let me go ahead and just close in prayer. Oh God, you are a holy God. You are a righteous God. And you have given us your word that we are undeserving of. And Father, there's so many times when we just leave the Bible on our shelves, we don't even pick it up because we think we know better. We lean on our own understanding instead of leaning on you. And Father, forgive us for that. Father, give us a greater love for Christ. Father, help us to hate our sin and to seek Christ above all else. Help us to see our great need for you. And we pray, Father, that we will walk in holiness before you all of our days. And that we will keep your word continually. That we will seek after your precepts. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, who is the Savior and the King. Amen.